And we've been talking about uh, the power of God for the last several weeks, and we've named a couple of foundations that we built, built for that. Number one is the foundation of humility, saying God opposes the proud, but he pours out his power, his grace, on the humble, those who have humbled themselves in dependence on God and of neediness before God. Remember, Jesus said, listen, man, human beings don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the, from the mouth of God. He was speaking about himself. There's a sense of humility saying, I need the Father, right? So there's a sense of humility. So the second thing was this agape love, that, that the, our service to God and to neighbor, expressing, which is expressed in power, is birthed out of agape love, this true sacrificial, selfless love. And so I said to you, unashamedly, if you're not seeing the, listen, if you're not seeing the power of God moving regularly in your life, then it's because there's no humility in your life and there's no selfless love being expressed. That's the main reason. Because if you are doing that every day of your life, God just can't help himself but move through you in power. God opposes the proud. He gives grace. He pours open the highway from heaven into our lives and stuff just floods into us and out of us. We can't help it. Okay? And so this humility and this godly love. Now, most of you who have been at Vintage, you know that over the last several years, starting in 1999, I've been going to India on a very, very regular occurrence. I, I'm not, I don't, people say, do you just love India? I'm like, not really, to be honest with you. But I love Tammy, and I love the, this children's son that she's birthed, and I do have a passion for the nations in general, right? But India in itself, I'm not, I'm not passionately in love with it, but I love what's going on there in this home. And so we go over and we spend a lot of time there and traveled around and done some uh, neat stuff in our time and in, in our time there. But I'll never forget one of the very first times I was in India. Now, if you know anything about India, you know that it's very hot 24 hours of the day, right? And so I'll never forget, I mean, this one of the first times I was in India, and, and, I, and we're in our, in our, in our, in our bed, and, and we have, um, you know, the, the windows open with, this, with mosquito nets, because, listen, there are mosquitoes. Who cares? You have mosquito nets. I mean, the mosquitoes are everywhere, right? They're in, like, millions and billions outside your windows. They're, like, thousands inside of your windows, right? There's mosquitoes everywhere. So, so you turn the fan on, the, and, and the fan is this wonderful gift for lots of lots of reasons, right? It gets the airflow going. So I'll never forget. I wake up. And in the middle of the night one time, and, <clears throat> and, and I wake up to something running down my forehead, right? You know how and you just don't, you're kind of like in that daze, and all of a sudden you feel that thing, you're like, ah, right? And, and I recognize it was just a bead of sweat running down my forehead, and I'm like, and I look up, and the fan's off, right? Well, I have a roommate, and I'm very angry with him, right? I just don't, my first instinct is to jump on him and start beating him, saying, why'd you turn the fan off, right? You just do those things in the middle of the night. I don't know what was going on, right? I love Jesus, I love him, right? But that was my first instinct, I'm like, it's brutally hot, right? Sweat just, oh, just coming down my forehead, and all of a sudden, I, and, I, and I look, and all of a sudden I realize it is pitch black everywhere. And all of a sudden I realize we have had a power outage. Now, let me say this. When you go to, and when you go to the third world country, there are lots of things to expect. Number one, you can expect, right? You can expect there'll be poverty everywhere. It's overwhelming. But in that poverty, what you can expect is this joy found in people who have absolutely nothing, right? They just have a sense of joy in the simplicity of their life that they just love every moment. And you're like, how can you have nothing, right? But the third thing, 
that is expected but comes in an unexpected way are these power outages. I mean, literally. We'll be sitting there watching movies with the kids at Caribe Hung with Tammy. And we're in the middle of it, and all of a sudden, all the power goes out, right? It's like this whole power grid. You look across the, the valley, all the power's out. You're sitting in the middle of one of their, their shows the kids are doing with the lights on. All of a sudden, boom, the lights go off, right? And the kids, the oldest kids know you run over to the generator, make sure it's full of kerosene, and you light, and you, you turn it on, right? Pull the cord, and you turn it on, right? This whole thing. So, Anyway, so I'm sitting there this night going, oh, this is one of those expected things that comes in an unexpected time, right? Power being turned off. And when it turned off, all of a sudden, right, the fan went off. And the fan was a gift, right? Because what did it do? Number one, it kept airflow going so you, you felt a little bit cooler in the room, right? Number two, it kept the mosquitoes from biting you because air's blowing. It's keeping them from landing on top of you, right? So it's a gift. But the third thing it does, it's, a, it's, it's called noise suppression, right? You know, if you're having those instances where all of a sudden, boom, and all of a sudden you hear everything outside. I don't know what it is, but at 3 o'clock in the morning, there are thousands of people walking down the streets, talking very loudly, laughing everywhere they go, and ringing their bike bell. Ring, 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 as they're going down the street. I don't know what they're doing at 3 a.m., but they're doing something. And all of a sudden, the fan's off, noise suppression is gone, mosquitoes are coming, and you can hear them, you know, you're like, oh, like this, right? And, they're all, and I'm singing, oh, God. And I start praying, in the name of Jesus. I command the power to come back on, right? You know that? And in the name of Jesus, you're like, in the name of Jesus, right? Just praying this prayer, because I don't know that happens when you're, yeah, right? You're all excited, it happens, right? Anyway, but seriously, in this moment, I recognize this. We needed the power turned on, right? There was an absence of power, and it was making my life miserable. Now, every day when we live our lives, we have an opportunity to walk with the power of God coursing through us, right? In us and through us. But how many people do you know live their life every day completely unaware that there is no power being expressed in their life? They're living life not knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus, is not really even turned on in their life. See, I believe it's the great tragedy of the church that we live in today, that we are a people who live our lives completely unaware that the power of God either is not moving or is not moving like it should be. And this morning we want to just kind of name that reality and then begin to be honest with ourselves and, and say, how many of us live life every day with a seemingly complete absence of power, even in our own lives? So, have your Bibles turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. It should be a familiar scripture to all of you. If you've grown up in the church, been in the church for, or for any kind of period of time, if you've ever dealt with fear in your life and asked someone at church, they probably quoted the scripture to you, so we want to look at it this morning should be familiar to us, 2 Timothy chapter 1, going, starting in verse 5, going to verse 7. It says this, Paul speaking to Timothy, says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you to the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, 
but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, or a sound mind, depending on what version of the Bible that you're reading. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity and fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline or sound mind. If you kept on reading, you would get the context of what Paul is getting at. Immediately after these verses, for about the next six or seven verses, Paul kind of tells his own story. He talks about what's going on in his own life. He's telling the story of his life in which he came to the reality of his need for the spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. He tells his own experience. And I want you to see these three things that he names this morning. The first is he names suffering. He names suffering. Or suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Basically, he would preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He would go everywhere and talk about the death of Jesus and talk about the resurrection, this crazy story of this this man God, Jesus, being raised from the dead to Christ, right? And people will think he's crazy, and therefore he suffers for the sake of Christ. Verse 12 says, that is why I'm suffering as I am. In his own life, he is suffering, right? He's suffering. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus, going and preaching the good news of Jesus, and he's suffering because of it. The second thing we see is desertion, not desert. We see desertion, right? Companions who are literally deserting him. Verse 15 says, You know that that everyone in the province of Asia, every single believer, every person with them in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Philagius, Excuse me, Phagellus and Hermogenes, or Phagellus and Hermogenes. These two guys, literally, he's walking through Asia, doing life. He goes to bed one night with Phagellus and Hermogenes, these two guys who are on board with him. The next morning he wakes up and guess what? They've 100% deserted him and left him, abandoned him. And in his flesh, in his humanity, he's sitting there in the moment feeling the pain of someone he loved who was his companions, right? Deserting him and leaving him. That never feels good. Third thing we see he names is imprisonment. Imprisonment. Verse 9 says, I've suffered, the, I've suffered hardship including imprisonment as a criminal. Suffering hardship, including imprisonment as a criminal. So we see Paul, he's naming these things that he's facing in his life, naming these things that he's wrestling with. And so he begins to speak to Timothy. And I would say this, he's not speaking to Timothy because Timothy is timid or because he is living a life of fear. Instead, it may be simply that Paul understands the difficulties that lie ahead of Timothy if he is to stay on the path that he is tracking on. Listen, what he's looking at saying, he's saying, Timothy, I see you as my son. I am your spiritual father. I literally see you right now in this moment, and I recognize that you're literally walking the same path that I've been walking. And we all, and he's saying, I want to name the fruit of what, I want to name the fruit of this path. If you choose to stay on this path, I want you to know that you're going to struggle, you're going to wrestle with suffering. Suffering is going to occur in your life. You are not going to be immune. In fact, I'm telling you, if you're going to be a Christian walking in the way that I'm walking, you are going to suffer. Second thing, if you're going to stay on the path that you're on, you are going to suffer desertion. It's going to be overwhelming. People are going to desert you. They're going to leave you. They're going to call you crazy. 
If you're going to stay on this path that you're on, more than likely you're going to you're going to face imprisonment. And you know the end result of that, Timothy. More than likely, you will die a martyr's death. Good news. He's coming in the moment saying, I see the path that you are on. And I want you to know, in that moment, you're going to face these things, so I want to encourage you, right? It's going to be difficult. And then he comes down, and the first thing I want you to see is Paul identifying with Timothy. I want you to, number first thing I want you to write that down is to see Paul identifying with Timothy. In verse 9, Paul links himself with Timothy. He says, For God did not give us. You see the shift. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind, right? He's, he comes and links us. Listen, Timothy, God gave us the same spirit, both of us. We're on the same path. We are similar, right? Paul is highlighting clearly the things that he is encouraging Timothy, right? The things that he's encouraging him in, the things that have, that have been in. He's encouraging with the things that have been encouragement to himself. I want to encourage you with the things that have been encouragement to me, right? To Paul himself that have been true in his life. The life that he's living now, right? He basically comes and saying, listen, I want to write to you, encourage you, this path that we are on together. I've gone ahead of you in it, but I want you to see this is true for you. The Spirit of God, right? The God did not give us a spirit of fear. The idea is simple. In their lives, and then we would name it even for our lives, that we face difficulties just as they face difficulties, right? We face hardships. We face sufferings. We face even desertions, right? Those desertions in relationships, in friendships, even in marriages, right? We see it from our children sometimes and even from our parents who seemingly desert us. In the difficulties of life, all these things. We face all these weighty things all the time. Paul is naming and facing his own weighty things in the midst of them. He recognizes that his greatest gift And hear this, the greatest gift in that moment of weightiness and of hardship and of suffering and of difficulty in the most weighty moments of our life when we're sitting there facing hell and death and all of these things, the greatest gift that we possess is the simple gift of faith. For the gift of faith says simply this, a conviction that God is for us, and not against us, and that he's fighting for us. This is the conviction, the greatest conviction that can happen in your life when you face the reality of difficulty, hardships, and sufferings is the fact of the faith that God, even though I don't feel it, I don't see it or experience it in my senses, he is present. He is moving, he is for me, and he's fighting. Do you see what Paul is naming? He does not say Christians' lives will be immune from these things. No, he lives in the expectation of them. So much of church and so much of Christianity tells us that we as Christians can be immune from hardships and difficulties. And Paul says, no, in fact, they will probably be even more difficult and more suffering and more weightiness. Why? Because now the world is against you and the enemy himself. So, your greatest gift is the gift of faith. 
that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And when you're going through hell, he will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies and give you joy and give you hope and give you peace. Timothy, this is my word to you. So he begins by, that's where he begins, right? He says, I've reminded you, right? I've been reminded of your sincere, sincere faith. He wants to remind us. So listen, your grandma had faith. Your mama had faith. Now you got faith, son. So I want to remind you of this. I want to remind you of your lineage and where you come from. I want to remind you of your spiritual heritage. And I want to remind you that when we laid hands on you, right, and the Holy Spirit came upon you, faith overwhelmed your life. And so I'm telling you, you have faith. That's who you are, right? So I want you to fan it into flame. See, the appeal he's making is preventative rather than corrective. What do I mean by that? Well, he's coming and saying basically this. You already have the flame in your life. I simply want you to keep it in flame, right? It's already white hot with faith. I want you to continue. You know how it works with the fire? When the fire begins to die, what do you do? You blow on it and it continues to get big. And how do you keep a fire going? You continually blow on it over and over and over. He's saying, listen, I don't want you in your life to stop blowing the fan and fanning this, this faith into a greater fire. It's, it's there. It's not corrective. He's not, right? It's just preventative. Don't fall into this. Why? Because I see the path and journey that you're on, and it's going to be overwhelming and difficult in so many ways. Fan into flame. Know me as being your God. Know me as being your Lord. And when the enemy lies to you with fear, do not believe it. Paul, he's communicating this, right? He's communicating with Timothy, simply speaking, as one who has gone ahead of Timothy. Therefore, understand the path that Timothy is on. And he wants to tell him how to keep on the path and how to walk well. That's the thing I want you to hear me say this morning. And you know it. The path that you live as a Christian and the things that you will face in your own hardships and your own difficulties and your moments of poverty and your moments of disease and your moments of frustration and your moment of being deserted, all of these things. In these moments, Paul's kind of saying, these moments are going to come, fan into flame that gift of faith. So when it comes, you will trust God. You will believe him. Because his power and his love and his sound mind are present through his spirit now. Second, I want us to recognize the power that Paul is talking about. Verse 7 says, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. It's agape love we've been discussing for the last several weeks. It's Love, the selfless, sacrificial love, right? How do we love like this? Through the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Power has been manifest into your life. Listen, fear is something that all of us understand. Fear immobilizes us, doesn't it? It paralyzes us. We understand this fear in our lives. Remember that time when you were a kid and you walked up to the dark hallway and you stopped, 
right? And fear literally paralyzed you. And what happened? You called out to mom or dad to wait for them to get there, right? So that you could walk down this hallway without fear, right? Because you don't, you don't know their presence with you. This fear, it paralyzes and immobilizes us. So when Paul is looking at Timothy, he said, listen, I've walked the path. Right, I've walked the path. I know when I get to this place in this moment that, that, that fear wants to paralyze you. It wants to immobilize you. It wants to, to keep you from stepping into the place that God has for you. It wants to immobilize you and keep you from moving forward. And so we sit still, right? Completely absent of the power of God in our lives because we're afraid to make that difficult decision, to take that step in our business, to take that step in our relationship, right? To take that step of faith, even to go and lay hands on someone at the Walmart and pray for them, right? It's just not the super spiritual, it's the really practical things of life. Do you trust God in every facet, in every place of your life, or has fear immobilized you? You can trust God to lay hands on someone for healing, maybe, but you don't trust him in your job to to bless you in a difficult season. Fear paralyzes us. It immobilizes us. Paul is looking at Timothy saying, you've got to fan the flame of faith because you've got to trust him. You've got to know him because when it comes, not if, when it comes... The power is already present. Don't let fear immobilize you and blind you from truth. Don't let it happen. Power is present. Gordon MacDonald said this about power. He says power is unlimited strength. Unlimited strength is at at our disposal. Through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the believer can, listen, he he or she can serve valiantly, endure patiently, Suffer triumphantly, and if need be, die gloriously. Unlimited strength that is at our disposal through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the believer can serve every day of their life valiantly, endure hardship and suffering and difficulty patiently, can suffer triumphantly, and if need be, die gloriously. Paul's understanding, which he conveys to Timothy, right? And he's the idea that that Timothy and all believers, right, have the God-given, this God-given inherent ability necessary for meeting the difficulties of life and for the fulfillment of the service that God has called us to. Power is present now to do the things that God has called us to do. God never commands us, never commands us to do what he has not also enabled us to complete. God has not called us to do something. He has not given us the power to complete, right? God gives us and already has given us the power to overcome all obstacles and to face all dangers. All of this, described practically, it means that believers, that believers, those who say they're in relationship with Jesus, must trust the Spirit to empower them in specific in every instance, such as sharing their faith, resisting temptation, being faithful in difficult situations, and all the things that we faith, and so on and so on and so on. Everything we face in life, everything we don't understand, everything that overwhelms us, His power is already present 
for us in our lives to step into that. And it begins with this faith, this confidence, this trust in God in us. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil because he's with me. Do we have faith in God? Do we understand that his power is already present in our lives? The takeaway for this morning is this. The second Timothy is true. And we now have not the spirit of fear, but we have the, the resources of God's power. Do you hear that? The resources. The resources. How many of us? I just want the resources to accomplish this. We have the resources of God's power and the resources of God's love and we have the resources of a sound mind. So therefore, when we find ourselves, listen, when we, because this names us, when we are vacillating and apprehensive, when we're vacillating in life on steps to take, right? We're over when we're vacillating and we're apprehensive. We can be sure it is because our focus, listen, is on ourselves and on our own human resources rather than on God and his available divine resources. I want to say that again, that we can be sure, right, if we're vacillating and apprehensive, we can be sure it is because our focus is on ourselves and our own human resources rather than on the Lord and his available divine resources. Listen, I remember the moment when I got to the swimming pool with Sarah. Anna Catherine is the one who, man, she would go to the 10th step of the stairs and say, Daddy, catch me, and I would turn as she's in midair, literally. It's a true story, right? And I would turn, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, and I'd lunge up the stairs. I remember doing it at my dad's house. Right? My dad's here today. I remember being at his house, and I said, hey, Dad, my, you know, watch this real quick. And Anna Catherine goes up and said, no, go higher. Go higher. She's like, okay, Daddy. She just lunges down. Like, and my dad's like, ah, right? And I had to catch her in the moment. She's just giggling and laughing. Now, Sarah, on the other hand, right? I said, Sarah, go to the stairs. She's like, I'm good right here, <laughs> right? And I forget, literally standing there, happened in the pool, happened on the stairs. I say, Sarah, just trust me. <laughs> right? I'm not going up there. I'm not an idiot, right? She's sitting up there, right? Not trusting me. I'm never forgetting. And so when she would jump, like Anna Catherine, full abandon, she would just give herself eyes closed, right? Sarah would do like the, um, like the, the um, step plunge, you know what I'm talking about? She wouldn't, Sarah would just kind of like step off and go, ah, right? And that's who she was, right? Because in that moment, she didn't trust me to catch her. I don't know why. Because I was completely trustworthy, right? These are strong muscles, right? Completely capable of catching her in the moment, right? Especially in the pool. It's just water. But there she is in the moment. Trust, and, she's, and I could see her brain spinning, right? She's just, oh, okay, if I jump. I mean, she's literally just doing this kind of, right? And she's replaying, how can I not get hurt? What can I do to protect myself? Where Anna Catherine, right? Anna Catherine would jump, and she would swim to the side, and then it was Sarah's turn. And so Anna Catherine would, she would jump, she would swim, she'd run back over, push Sarah out of the way, because Sarah's still, you know, she's still deliberating what she's going to do, right? And then Sarah just jumped, Anna Catherine would just jump back in, right? The whole time. And we live our lives like that, don't we? Apprehensive in our lives. Apprehensive. Struggling with trusting. Struggling with our faith. Struggling if God can really do these things. 
trusting our own selves and our own human resources. I was interested. I was talking to Lori Anderson this week. She plays the keys up here sometimes, and she was talking about her kids uh, doing a backhand kickover. Is that what it is? A backhand spring? That's the one. Back handspring. I don't know if they are right. Backhand spring. And she said to me, she said, "It's interesting to me that my students' first response to something new is, I can't do that. I can't do that, or I don't want to do that because it's too hard. Because they don't trust." There's not this release. And so the question is simply this. How are you doing in your life at expressing the power that's already present in your life? How are you doing expressing the love of God that's already present in your life? What stories do you have to tell, even from this week, of seeing the expression of faith Trusting God and seeing him move powerfully in your life. Do you have stories even from this month? And therefore the question is this. Do you have an absence of power in your life? You see, I woke up in India and all of a sudden had this awakening moment of an absence of power And I recognized I needed it on. And the question for us this morning, is the power on? Is there faith? Is there humility? And is there this love for God and for neighbor that allows his power to move and to flow through you? Story time with Steve. Close your eyes. Just turn the lights down. Close your eyes. I want to read this to you. And then uh, we're going to go into, into ministry time. It's this. It's this guy from Vance Havner. He's a contemporary of Billy Graham. They were actually in college together. He says this. He's a revivalist. He says, We are seeing much today of service without the Spirit. There is an appalling ignorance of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our great church bodies. It is not what is done for God that counts but rather what is done by him, the work of his spirit moving, moving through our yielded wills. Programs, propaganda, pep, personnel, these are not enough. There must be power. God's work must be done by God's people, God's way. He goes on and says, The Quakers got their name from the fact that they trembled under the power of the spirit. At least their faith shook them. Too many of us today are shaky about what we, about what we believe, but not shaken by what we do believe. Too many people assemble at God's house who don't really believe in the power of God. Having begun the Spirit, we live in the flesh. Never has the church had more wire or power lines stretched across the nation with less power in it. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Sad to say, we seem not even to know that we have not the Spirit in power. If He ceased His work in many church members, excuse me, if He ceased His work, many church members would never know the difference. Like Samson, we know not that He has departed, but we keep shaking ourselves in the the prescribed calisthenics. Our righteousness 
is as filthy rags. And only when we see them so and we rend or tear our garments can we be clad in his righteousness alone to stand faultless before the throne. And not only that, but the believer who would live and work in the power of God must rend or tear the garments of self-sufficiency and tear up the, the vestments of the flesh if he is going to be clothed in the Lord. God will not drop the mantle of his spirit around the dirty raiment or his clothes of our, own, of our goodness. We must rend our own clothes if we wear the garment of God. Walking in the spirit is exactly what the name means. Not taking a step or a stand to pose like statues on the rock of a Bible truth but living day by day in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we come this morning and declare.